the Couch with James Field and Ian Harris. It's episode 116 for the 18th of September 2009. How are you doing, James? Hi, Ian. Um, well, here we are, On the Couch, episode 116. Indeed. 116 of On the Couch, and uh, we are here to talk about what's happening in the world of broadcast and entertainment technology news. Yes, including and, the topics uh, of content delivery, as well as business and technology. What else? Yeah, what's happening in the, the world of mobile, mobile TV and mobile entertainment, gaming. And weird stuff. Weird stuff, yeah. Which, which I don't know, I, I had a quick looky see at that. Anyway, um, we'll cover that <laughs> later on. Uh, I've had a very hectic uh, week have. at IBC. Uh, um, which I, I was uh, unfortunately in the, the wrong place at the wrong time this year, but... Uh, so how was it? How was the show you, you this year? Were, you weren't in continent, you were out of continent. I was out of continent, yeah. There we go. Indeed. Um, so I guess IBC was, uh, attendance was a bit down, mm-hmm. but I think certainly from my sort of perspective, the guys who did come along were more serious. So it was right. it sort yeah. of filtered it out. Mm-hmm. Um, the big sort of story was obviously, I guess, stereoscopic 3D, much as was coming from IFA, mm-hmm. um, because I guess the, the IFA is the consumer side of things. So yes. I guess IFA, um, in a way, makes the industry pregnant. You get my drift by kind of saying, look, here's the products coming out in 12 months, 18 months time. Right. And then the industry has to then, you know, give birth to baby. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was uh, quite interesting to see. Um, so uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, 3D TV. Is there, was there, is there any kind of new technologies or new ways of doing that? I didn't see much. I mean, I was showing some quite funky kind of uh, user interface stuff. And my angle mm-hmm. here was quite interesting that, and there's not going to be a lot of 3D content at the beginning because mm, mm. um, it's, it's not like HD where you can just re-digitize old films. Yeah, it's true. Um, so there has to be original content. So, you know, the early adopter types like uh, like yourself, Ian, with your 29-inch CRT. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> have, uh, you know, you're going to just go jump straight to 3D, but there's not going to be much on. So when you're saying, hey, mates, come around and watch my TV, yeah, you're going to want... Um, to show them something. So having a great UI, I think it's going to be part of yeah, that. And people are only just beginning to explore what you can do in that space. And mm. clearly TVs today have got pretty much sort of Fisher-Price UIs when it comes to yeah, um, that's true. kind of anything to do with TV at all. With the exception of maybe the Sony cross-media bar, but that's not exactly pinnacle of user usability experience. Yeah. So yeah, mm, 3D cool. was hot. Uh, obviously, you know, things were getting higher resolutions, smaller mm-hmm. formats, uh, but, you know, metadata was around, lots of, uh, but generally very, very busy. And certainly for myself, I was just like super hectic. So. Excellent. Well, that's always good. If, you, if, you're, if you're actually exhibiting, it's good to have lots of people coming along. And yeah. And, and I think the other angle was probably more convergence as well. You were seeing not just mm-hmm. broadcast people there. You've got telcos coming in there. Right. Um, and so they're, you know, they're looking to offer broadcast type services. So that was, mm-hmm. that was different, I suppose. Uh, but still, you know, all the same parties, all the same freebies. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Nothing new. And the weather was nice. What more could you ask? Well, that's nice. Always good. Go. So that was IBC. Uh, next mm-hmm. show. Um, are you going to any shows? I mean, I guess CES is the next one on the horizon. 
Yeah, and the next one, uh, I've got a few cable shows in uh, uh-huh. in sunny Denver where uh, they're called interrupts where you kind of, yeah. lots of people turn up and try and plug things together and make sure they actually interoperate mm-hmm. um, from a technology perspective. So, and I think the next one's on uh, ETV and OCAP and, or True Two Way and looking at how uh, different boxes with different user agents are running different uh, applications and how that all works. And they're working on a format called CODF, which enables you to move an application from one place to another and kind of capture everything about that application at the same time. Like, uh, for example, what time it's meant to play, uh, how what the what bit rate is meant to play out, uh, the application itself, and all its data and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. So, testing the interoperability. So, of that what does CODF well. stand for? Something. Something, something, uh, something. You know what? I couldn't tell you actually off the top of my head. It's common object distribution format or? Hey, well done. Is it? I mean, I'm guessing. I'm, I mean, that doesn't sound bad to me, but I'm, I don't <laughs> think I've ever actually heard it in its full form. Maybe that's hmm. this month's quiz or this Indeed. week's quiz. If you can yeah, so that send question. us any feedback to feedback at onthecouchpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you know what COF, not COFDM, that's something no, else. CODF, yeah. If you, if you know what it actually stands for, then send us an open, we'll send you a prize. Let us know, yeah. And also, we were thinking just before we were having a little chat before the show, if you um, let us know when you listen to, we're interested in when, mm. when you listen to the show. Uh, we do try and keep it to that 25 minutes for those of you just listening, so it doesn't go on too long. Um, you know, are you listening in the gym? Are you listening when you're running? Uh, are you listening when you're in the car? Yeah. Exactly, or, or is this the first time you've listened to it and you're wondering why it's clogging up your iPod? <laughs> um, anyway, exactly. So, moving swiftly on to technology. To technology, yeah. Now this, I, I think the, this story about Google getting into book publishing, I think, is one of the most exciting things I've heard in a long time. Books um, are so last year, Ian. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're actually not. Uh, and the, the, the idea here is that Google has been uh, scanning uh, about two million out of copyright books from yep. various libraries around the world. Um, so and I thought they'd been scanning and OCRing them. And OCRing, absolutely, because that way you okay. can search on them. And then you can relay them out, I suppose, which is mm-hmm. what they've done here. And the idea here is that uh, there's a company called On Demand who create, mm-hmm. have created this big, it's basically a big photocopier, uh, but it's got uh, binding capabilities and it's obviously uh, industrial yeah, it can, strength. I thought it could produce a book, 300-page book in... Four minutes. Yep, and that's binding, printing, the whole lot. So it's actually, you get a proper book at the end. You don't get a bunch of photocopied pages. Uh, so you get a nice book, uh, mm-hmm. a paperback, paperback size book. Uh, and the idea that you can buy it for about eight US dollars. Uh, and the, the, the point here is that you go into the bookstore and you search on one of their terminals, say, for a book that you're after, or they say, mm-hmm. yeah, that book's out of print. And they go, no worries, that'll be eight bucks. And four minutes later, you have the book, uh, which is that's- fantastic. I mean... The number of times I've actually wanted a book, even that's in print and it's not been at the bookstore and, you know, being able to do this would be fantastic. But for, for books that, um, you know, Google's given life to a whole uh, whole mass of uh, human culture, I guess, that uh, is uh, pretty much been uh, forgotten about up until now. So I'm, I'm very excited by this. I have no idea if any of these two million books are any good to read, but um, you kind of assume that something's, something's good, just not quite as fashionable as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. But it also mentions, interestingly enough, that there are only a few of these machines around. There are yeah, about so 30 there's only about of these espresso book machines in operation. Oh, there's only th- yeah, it's only. Th- yeah, <clears> but there's one in the UK, one, one in Egypt, one in Australia, one in Canada, and the rest are in the US. So <laughs> if anyone's ever seen one of these things or has even oh, bought goodness. a book, do let us know because. Yeah. Um, It'd be very exciting to see. I, I must track one down in the US. Um, 
So there's about half a dozen outside of the US. Um, I wouldn't have thought Egypt would be top on my list of places. No, but UK. To put I mean, it's got to be in London, presumably. It's got to be in London. The, yeah, you know, it's okay. in the corner of uh, you know the Harry Potter bookshop or something. <laughs> I'm going to track that down. That's very, very exciting. <coughs> so, so I uh, shall uh, go and find some random book and see if I can. Yeah. So forget it. ebooks. Paper is the new ebook. Paper yeah, is yeah. the new ebook. Exactly. Very exciting. And obviously, Google's being very nice in giving the money to charity. Yeah. Or something. But you've got you to imagine that just hanging on the ebook idea for for a moment here. If you have an ebook, then you presumably it would be nice if you could take it into the store, plug it in, and get a copy of that book onto your ebook as opposed to having to print it out. That would be cool too. Would. And I'm sure they'd be more than happy to do that because the printing cost is what eight bucks, and they said the printing cost is around uh, three dollars. It's around three dollars plus for the, the materials, and then plus the eighty-five thousand pounds for the machine in the first place, mind you. But yeah, and the hosting cost. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but uh, interesting. Um, Very cool. I mean, we talked before years ago on literally probably about Lulu. I think Lulu.com, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. prints. You know, you can publish your own book online. You yeah. basically upload the PDF, and they will print it on demand. But that's kind of full color stuff so mm-hmm. i mean i get the impression this is like a you know like a cheap bible kind of thing i don't know how i don't know how good quality it's going to be well if you've used one know. let us know i'll reserve yeah, judgment. I'd, I'd, uh, yeah. love to hear your yeah. feedback on that thing is that it thing like a 300 page sort of risler thing or is it um <laughs> well it's got it's got to look good enough to be a book you know and uh, yeah well eight bucks isn't a lot i mean most retail books are going for significantly you know, yeah, more than that, 20 so. bucks now yeah we'll see okay um, right, so uh, on content delivery. Mm. That's so, quite interesting. The, um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on for those who are unfamiliar with the, the UK environment about putting, making access to TV content over the open internet in a mm-hmm. semi-standardized way. Mm-hmm. And obviously, one of the challenges there is, uh, like the BBC, for instance, is that they, it's difficult to restrict people based on geographic boundaries over the internet. Not impossible, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. difficult. So I think they're... The BBC has made a suggestion they want to kind of, I don't think it's exactly scrambling, it's obfuscation of the metadata. Yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, I mean, it's essentially an idea to, um, and I can see where the BBC is coming from here. So if you imagine if you've got a content provider and let's say it's a program like Heroes, which is on the BBC. Uh-huh. And uh, you're Tim Kring and you come along and say, look, BBC, you know, I know you love our program, but if you want to actually put this on your free-to-air satellite platform, which anyone can pull off and record and put on the mm-hmm. internet, then we want you to make sure that no one's going to actually copy it. Um, so it's... it's uh, And the satellites don't respect boundaries. And that, that happens in other territories yeah. where they are required to scramble it, but then mm-hmm. it's, it's, the BBC is a strange animal anyway with its, its covenants and so, it is, and it's actually um, it's actually prohib- prohibited from uh, encrypting its signal. Um, so what it's trying to do here is uh, not actually encrypt the video, mm. uh, but encrypt the information about the video, which allows you to, which uh, allows the box so to do some. Common, I guess some of the common DVB tables or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is, but uh, yeah. anyway, this was funny because one of these American uh, Corey Doctorow, one of these, um, I think he's a free software foundation pioneer. He's quite a yeah, he's pretty a, much a, against a voice for blogger suggesting that everyone sort of hit the BBC immediately and tell them to uh, stop doing it, even if you're not from the UK. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he's uh, not from the UK. I think Corey lives so. in the UK as well. So. <laughs> anyway. Mm. Yeah, so, so we'll see. don't know if that happened. There's obviously lots of talk, I think, today and, and a couple of days ago about the BBC maybe being broken up to some extent mm. to try and reduce its, uh, its omnipotence and try and try to save some money, I suppose. So, Yes, we'll see how do. that develops. Listen again. See if we 
Get the sleep we get the news. Which I doubted. Um, right. Um, <laughs> Some of the mobile, mobile news now. Now this is something, this, this non-story <laughs> about <laughs> nobody's, uh, nobody's watching mobile TV <laughs> is, yeah. is something we've talked about before. Um, we have. And, um, you know, we've, I mean, James and I, James, you and I have talked many times about how uh, the difficulties with getting mobile TV to actually uh, be a successful format Mm. Not least of which, starting with the technical boundaries of having enough bandwidth to actually deliver mobile yeah, TV. Yeah, well, I mean that's kind of happening, and obviously in some areas, I was, I was with some Korean guys yesterday, and they say, "Oh, it's very successful in Japan, in uh, Korea, mm-hmm. sorry, mm-hmm. Um, where they have, you know, they've got Spectrum, and I wouldn't say it's successful, but you know, it's pretty universally available. Similarly in Japan, yeah, you know, there is you can watch stuff on your mobile phone, but maybe it's the the big problem we've had or I've had before is certainly the modality when you're actually going to watch it. Mm. You've got to have yeah. that kind of lifestyle when you're doing that. Absolutely. Um, and the challenge there is, uh, I mean, for, for reasons that I'm not quite sure of, but on all the major train routes in the UK that at least I take, uh, as soon as you're on a train and uh, vaguely outside of any sort of major city, the, the, the mobile signal is completely rubbish to the point where you can't make calls, let alone get 3G video quality uh, bandwidth action happening. Exactly. So in terms of uh, having the right opportunity to do it, then, I mean, that would be kind of perfect. You're sitting there, you want to watch, you know, 10 minutes or something. Uh, well, I can't help thinking news. that, you know, the people behind this, people who want to sell their technology are quite keen on supporting it, clearly. And certainly, you know, going mm. back to the IBC story, MediaFlow mm-hmm. from Qualcomm, were, they had a very big booth. They were giving away these beach towels to everybody and you know, they had nice. a free bar. So they would clearly keep on marketing it. Mm. Um, and, you know, there may be some niche formats. So it's going to come down to the content. It's got to be the right Absolutely. type of content as well. You can't I just think, pump out regular TV. No, 